Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor Podcasts. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Ralph Tendai Mupita, President and CEO of MTN Group. Enjoy this inspirational conversation. Ralph Tendai Mupita, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Trevor, thanks very much. It's a privilege to be on this platform and uh, looking to uh, this conversation and uh, also asking you some questions. Absolutely. <laughs> I look forward to your questions. I'm grateful that you found the time because, you know, a couple of hours ago you were in the, in the, in the air, mm-hmm. flying from one place to the other. For, for you to create this time, truly grateful. And I have no doubt that this conversation is going to inspire quite a lot of people. Thank you. Ralph, I'll start with your dream. <laughs> when you were 10 years old, uh, you dreamt going to the moon, mm. but someone discouraged you from that mm. dream. And they said, and, and what was your response to that? Yeah, Trevor, I mean, people ask me about that, and sometimes I chuckle a bit because um, it was actually quite a transformative uh, um, uh, point in my life. 10 years old, you are at that stage, you think everything is possible. Um, and um, there's nothing that kind of holds you back. And uh, I was told that, um, you know, there are people going to, you know, um, you know, there have been people going to the moon, and I looked at all of them, and they were, they were white, mm-hmm. okay? And I said, you know, I want to go to the moon. They said, no, but black people don't go to the moon. I said, but why? Mm-hmm. Um, never got a satisfactory answer, but it got me very curious, and uh, it got me really, really thinking about, you know, why are there limitations to people? Mm. I come from a small town. Yes, I grew up in Mutare. But why should that be limiting? Mm. So I was never happy about it. <laughs> um, I think I was once misquoted to say, I reconciled with That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> did, did the, the, I mean, at 10 years old, mm. and you say you have this dream, and somebody mm. said, no, it's impossible. Mm. Uh, did, what, what did that do to you? Does it crush you as a 10-year-old, or you keep dreaming? No, it didn't crush me. It kept me dreaming, mm. and uh, it kept me searching for, um, you know, what is possible. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, are there really real boundaries for people? You know, what is it that, you know, you really can't do? Mm. Um, you know, today I talk, um, you know, to when I speak to young folk, uh, I talk about uh, no one is limited. But it started a very kind of curious process in my head about you know, limitations, where are the boundaries, where are the limitations? Mm. Um, you know, growing up in a small town like Mutare, um, why couldn't I be something that um, is on a world stage? I used to ask myself those mm. things. So it didn't crush me, it just created more curiosity. Mm. Uh, so, What, within that context, what should we be saying to youngsters who are watching us from all over the world um, and, and they've got these crazy dreams. Uh, what realistically do you say? You say be realistic, be pragmatic or dream on? I say dream on because, mm. you know, you never know until you try. <laughs> and, you know, my life, if anything, has been about trying things that uh, sometimes people would say you shouldn't be doing or you can't do. Um, you know, I always ask people to, you know, to uh, encourage people mm. to really think about um, what it is that they're really passionate about, what really stirs them inside, 
And if that stirring is very, very uh, kind of profound um, and gets them up in the morning, they must try and pursue it. Mm-hmm. They might not succeed, but you know they will learn something on the journey. Um, so I don't believe there are any limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are not limited. Um, limitations are things that are constructs we put a- around ourselves. So, I mean, my belief system, and I try and encourage my children and people I meet, is, you know, keep dreaming. Mm. Ah, don't, um, have self, don't have self-limiting beliefs. Mm. Yeah. Tell me, did you, so you, you, you were born in Ntare? No, I was actually born at Goromonze High School. Aha. Yeah, my father taught uh, maths and physics at uh, Goromonze, both uh, O-level and A-level in the 70s. You know well that Goromonze was one of yeah. very few schools that offered A-levels uh, for black people. Um, in you know during the days of Rhodesia, so I was born at Goromonzi. Yeah, all my siblings were also born there. A very interesting life, surrounded by students. My mother was a nursing sister at Goromonzi High School in the seventies. So we all grew up there in a little bit of an enclave. Whilst this war is going on around us, um, I only really got to understand what was happening when we moved from Goromonzi to Matare. Mm. So we left Goromonzi nineteen seventy-eight, I think. So I was then six years old. That's interesting. And then we moved to Mutari. I see. And then the move to Mutari is the one where I, I kind of really understood what was going on. And I was seven years old then, so you could also argue that, uh, you know, seven years old shouldn't really know too much about what's going on. <laughs> you should have this idyllic Yeah. Life. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, yeah, born in Goromonzi. Tell, t- so your dad uh, taught physics and maths, you yeah, say. Yeah. Talk to me now about, given where you are now mm. as president and CEO of uh, MTN Group, mm. yeah. when you look at your upbringing, mm. what is it that you got the most from your father and from your mother? Yeah, my father's late now, so he died about 13 years ago, but my mother's still uh, strong and going on. Um, you know, for my parents, my father in particular... He had this belief that education will set you free. Mm. I mean, he's, uh, he, was, he taught, as I said, maths and physics. In particular, he was passionate about maths. You know, our library was uh, probably three-quarters maths and physics books. <laughs> and then history and national geographic uh, books then would have been you know, the other third. Um, but he was a deep uh, believer in the ability of, for education to transform your life. Mm. And kind of linking it back to this thing about possibilities. Um, so it was pretty hard on us about, you know, being diligent readers, um, and, um, and I'll tell you an interesting story mm. about one time the TV, um, you know, blew up. Remember those big TVs we used to have in the eighties? He didn't fix it for two or three years. For sure, he could have fixed it, but that got us to read. Um, so you know, there's no TV, you can't watch uh, Night Rider or whatever. So myself and my siblings were always reading, mm. and uh, and uh, so he 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 was. Um, of the view around education will set you free. He was always a very moral guy. So, you know, he says there's always right and wrong in most situations and uh, lean very heavily towards the right side. I'm not sure I've always got that right <laughs> with, um, from that. Um, my mother, um, as I said, my mother's alive, very spiritual lady, um, uh, deep in her faith. Um, you, know, her, you know, from her side, uh, it's all about, uh, you know, this too shall pass. Mm. She has this tremendous belief that there are no situations that are permanently difficult. Mm. So, you know, this too shall pass. Um, and as I said, we grew up, you know, I had three other siblings, uh, grew up a very kind of idyllic, middle class, typical Zimbabwean lifestyle. I mean, mm-hmm. we weren't kind of materially wealthy. We were wealthy with books. 
and, um, and ideas. That's what we grew up um, and thinking about ideas. And that's why this crazy, I want to go to the moon kind yeah. of thing came yeah. from. Because I read about it. I said, oh, why, why shouldn't I? So surrounded by a lot of love, mm. which created the safety net for, for us to explore. But I was the naughtiest of the four. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you ask my siblings, they'll say, well, we weren't sure this guy would be president. Because wow. he, was, wow. he was very naughty as a kid. But yeah, um, you know, our parents gave me a very solid foundation. So you from your, your primary school? Just talk to me through your primary school. Your high Mutari. school. Yeah, Mutari, primary yeah. school. I went to Mutari Junior School, a, a government school. Mm -hmm. um, we were the first black people at the school. Uh, it was a very kind of traumatic experience. Uh, mm. You know, um, all your relationships have been, you know, black relationships. You don't really engage. So I went to, um, I think it was called Standard One. I can't remember what, what these things were. No, Kindergarten One. Uh, mm -hmm. Kindergarten One. I, like, I arrived at the school. Uh, this is 1979. Only black kid in the school. So I was kindergarten. My two elder siblings went to the proper primary school. So there are at least two or three other uh, black kids. And it was like a complete awakening. And I remember being kind of ostracized right there at the beginning. No one wants to play with me because, uh, you know, there's this black kid at the school. But that process also, you know, I was actually, I was a bit of an athlete. So when everyone saw me, you know, winning the sack races and other things that kids do then, Ah, people wanted to befriend me. But it was also a great experience with some I had really great teachers. Um, uh, even at the grade three level, I remember a teacher called Mrs. Baisley. You know, she spoke about, um, you know, anything you can conceive and believe you can achieve. CBA, she used to call mm -hmm. it. That was a grade three. Mm. Uh, so it comes back to this uh, going to the moon idea um, and, and, and her belief. I had really great. And it was a great time. Um, but, you know, you, but you do say it was traumatic. Trauma Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, it was just the trauma of um, not being accepted. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, you, you, you've come through. You're a, I mean, you're six, seven years old, uh, um, and you're not just being accepted um, because just purely of your yeah. color. Um, I got over it, and my parents helped me get over it. Uh, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I, mean, I mean, their advice then was, you know. Just do well in class. You know, you've got a bit of a mathematical brain. You're very good at sport. Just do those things. And, you know, in a term, you know, they'll all run to you, which is actually what happened. So, you know, the trauma didn't last So no long. scars at all? No scars. Uh, no scars from there. I mean, there were some scars. The, the scar that's deep in my mind, actually, let me take you a little bit back. Yeah, yeah. Um, is at the turn of what was then Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, um, the, the kind of white sports clubs became open in Mutari. So we went to one called in Penalonga mm. uh, with my dad and my grandfather uh, and my sibling. My mother, she was working. Uh, she, had, um, she was on duty uh, as a nursing sister in Mutari General Hospital. Um, we were, again, you know, this thing about being, you know, my dad was always saying, you know, if something's open, we're going to do it. So we wanted to go to this white sports club Pena, um, outside Penalonga. Um, and uh, this white gentleman comes up and uh, says, you're not allowed. But, you know, the laws had changed. You no know, black people could go to these places. Um, then this 16-year-old boy talks to my grandfather and my father, and he calls them boys. That scar is a six, seven-year-old still there. Wow. I, uh, and I often tell people, please don't call me boy, because <laughs> it takes me way back. Yeah, but what the scar there it's was. It's amazing how we forget those things, isn't ah, it? No, it's amazing. It's it's amazing. I mean, I haven't really forgotten it because what I said to myself, I'll never let find myself in a situation where me or my people 
and my people can be as broad as you want it to be humiliated. Um, you know, we have our dignity, we are people. And, you know, fast forward thinking about what I do at MTN, mm. and, and mm. uh, um, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do as MTN is give people dignity and hope mm. by being able to communicate, you know, you know, participate in financial services. But I'm connecting the, the papers dots. now, the, the, the dots. The dots. Mm. Uh, so, so primary school was very idyllic, played sports. Um, I mean, many people you know, who might be watching this will remember me more as a cricketer. <laughs> I played Zimbabwe schools cricket, but I honed my cricketing schools, uh, skills at Mutari Junior School, opening bowler very fast. Mm. You wouldn't have been able to uh, bat against my speed. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great... Uh, um, but as I got to grade seven, I had this urge to kind of leave. Mm. And I told my parents that, look... Um, Somehow, I'm not going to do high school in Matara. Um, I think I want to I leave home at 12. I said, look, I want to go. At 12 years old? Yeah, I wanted to go to do boarding at, uh, in Form 1. I said, I'm so, I just want to go boarding in Harare or somewhere. I said, where are you going to? I said, I'm going to apply to schools. Applied to schools. So I went to, I went to Churchill for Form 1 to Form 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, so. And um, and enjoy that time as well. Uh, lots of cricket, lots of athletics as well. So some people remember me as a track as well. So people say, oh, whatever happened to this guy? It was Marathon. No, not marathon. Distances. I was short distances. Okay. So I did 100 and 200, mm-hmm. and I did long and triple. I think I held the Mashonaland under 13 triple jump rec- record for probably a decade, I think. So. And in national colors? I had national colors in cricket. Wow. Yeah, so, so, cricket, so, so cricket I played for Zimbabwe schools cricket. Mm. So that was my thing. I, played, I also played rugby, but I played for Matabililand uh, schools rugby. Um, but rugby, I played it because it was the mature thing to do. I didn't really enjoy the sport. <laughs> I didn't enjoy all that hurt and what have you. But cricket, I uh, mm. was very passionate about mm. it. Uh, and, and then um, high school? Yeah, so high school is Churchill, and then I finished A-levels. Mm-hmm. Um, from form, um, high school, I finished at Plumtree. Plumtree, huh? Yeah, so Plumtree, I moved to Plumtree. I was always pursuing where the cricket was going to be played. Mm. And, uh, somebody very talk- sporty Plumtree, isn't it? Yeah, I was yeah. very sporty during those days. And the reason I, I chose Plumtree, because I was told, look, if you're going to play for Zimbabwe schools cricket, the time I was there, uh, kind of very late 80s, right at the beginning of the 90s, you... if if you went at um, Falcon or Plumtree, and if maybe you're lucky, Peter also uh, OP, you never made the team. So I said, okay, well, let me go where I'm most likely to play. So I went to play there, really enjoyed it again. So, yeah, you know, Very, I saw I didn't, really, I didn't know the sporty background. <laughs> I know. Sports, uh, sports was my thing. I loved it. Is it still your thing? It's still my thing. Um, although, you know, with age, um, I probably now... Out life, I say I'm, I'm consistent with my marathon running. Mm. But about, you know, seven years back, I was very consistent. I was mm. running marathons, ultra marathons. So yeah. And and then when you when did you decide you're going to study engineering at UCT? I didn't really decide it, Trevor. <laughs> we'll come back to another thing that uh, I think people's lives are filled with, but they don't always know what I call serendipity. Things mm. happen while you're planning. I had no plans to come to South Africa. My plans were actually to go to the UK. Um, you know, I was going to read at one of those colleges. But um, there was a girl, a certain girl I was very interested in. She said she's going to South Africa. And I said, geez, yeah, I mean, I, I'm planning to go. So 
I, I kind of abandoned the idea of going to the UK to try to follow her. That's interesting. Um, she never rocks up in South Africa. <laughs> 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 poor you. Uh, poor me. And then, yeah, then I changed my mind and I said, I'm going to UCT. And uh, said, I'll study civil engineering. Now, I wasn't sure which engineering in particular, but I knew two uncles who were civil engineers. Hmm. I said, well, I know them, so maybe I should try what they're doing. So that's how I ended up doing engineering at University of Cape Town. Just and, like that. And then after that, hmm. you joined... Um, Hugh, is it Hugh and English, yes. uh, civil engineering, yeah. and you spend some time there. And what, what changes your mind to want to go and do an MBA in, 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 in finance or something? So what happened was that, um, again, you know, my parents said, you know, you're going to UCT, how are you going to pay for the fees? You know, we can't pay for those fees. I said, no, 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 I think I'll get a scholarship or bursary, which I did. So I got from Hoa and Ingalls, and they, they, they sponsored first year, second year, third year, fourth year. And then they said, you must come and work for us for four years. I said, yeah, what's the real big deal? You're getting paid. So, um, so I worked for them pretty much the four years. Um, and then I said, again, I think I need to move on. Um, I want to try something that really is going to challenge me, put me in a new space of discomfort so I can learn again. Mm -hmm. I was feeling the learning curve was flattening. Um, at that stage. How old were you? I was 26, 27. Already you're thinking of curves flattening. I mean, that's... Yeah, the, the, I felt the... I mean, I, I... I operate best when there's a little bit of an edge. A um, bit of tension. When there's a little bit of tension and a little bit of uncertainty in myself. When I feel too sure, I think it's a very dangerous place because mm. uh, you get hubris and... You, you, you make assumptions, you make errors. So, but at that stage, somebody would say, well, but you, you're beginning. Why would you? And I was working for a civil engineering contracting firm, Horningos, as you said. But I just felt that there was something else I needed to do. And um, um, I'll stop you there because yeah. I'm trying to think, imagine myself 26 years old and the tension, the, I didn't have any of that. I was, I was just cruising. <laughs> no, uh, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that because I was asked the same question. And... Um, and my dad asked me this thing, and he said, mm. hey, but you're an engineer. What's this thing you're going to do in the MBA? Yeah. Are you going to go back to engineering? I said, no, I don't think I'll go back to engineering. What are you going to do? I said, I'm not sure. But I think I might want to go into investment banking, onward consulting, financial services. I just want to try something else. Where did that thinking come from? Is it the tension that you're feeling or the circles that you're around or the somebody that you're watching who's, who's, who's uh, um, inspiring you? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting point. I mean, I had been thinking about, you know, if, if I look kind of 10 years out, um, would I see myself as an engineer and doing this work? I said, no. Uh -huh. So I said, no, I don't. So, well, if you don't see it, why don't you change? That was a conversation I had myself. And, um, and I said, well, look, um, what is engineering at the end of the day? What did I learn in those four years in engineering? What I learned is problem solving. You know, how, do, how, do, how to look at a problem, figure out how do you solve it, what, what do you need? And I said, well, actually, financial services and consulting, um, in particular consulting is where I really wanted to go. Mm. Um, I thought, well, I, mean, I might end up with McKinsey or whatever. You know, I'm a problem solver. That's what I really do. Consulting is problem solving. So that's where I went in with, um, with you know, consulting, but it could end up investment banking or financial services. So in consulting, I mean, after I went for an interview with one of the big consulting firms, Wallace University of Cape Town, 
that interview didn't go well for me or for them. <laughs> um, and I said, I don't want to be with these folk because they told me something like, um, when you come in as an associate, you're going to work X number of hours. And uh, I said, no, I don't think I want, I want to, you know, a job where I'm just putting PowerPoint presentations. That's what they told me I want to do. So I end up in Old Mutual, again, serendipity, by them coming to uh, University of Cape Town to say, hey, we hear you've got into the MBA program. Why don't we pay for your fees? So I've got this record of people paying for my fees, which I always told my parents that the last time they paid for my school fees was when I was 12. Because <laughs> I, I forgot to tell a story that mm. actually my cricket was so good that I was in the Zimbabwe Cricket Union Scholarship for all through high school. Mm. So all through high school, so my parents never paid. So I, so I said to, I said, um, I, you know, um, old Mitchell rocks up and said, no, we'll pay for you. And you just need to work for us for, an, for one year and then you're free. I mean, I end up spending 17 years, but um, I only had one year commitment. So I get interviewed by this HR folk at uh, Old Mutual, and they said, well, look, um, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do asset management. I want to do, you know, uh, infrastructure because I've been an engineer. I know how to, you know, build roads and all of this stuff. And with my MBA and the finance I've learned, surely I'll be a good uh, portfolio manager. I lasted 15 minutes in an interview with a guy called Derek Musibi. Shame, Derek, if he's watching. <laughs> he, he put me on the right path. So he said, no, you're not a chartered accountant. You can't do this thing. Wow. So I got rejected from that role. And then they said, well, look, there's only one other role to do. And you, you, you need to work for this other guy called Paul and Ratty. No one wants to work for Paul and Ratty. I hope Paul is not watching. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paul is now the CEO of Sunlum. Um, but I went to work for Paul, and that was quite a transformative experience. Mm. Um, in um, in three years, four years of working for him directly at the start, I think I packed 20 years in. He wow. was such a good mentor. So the other, the other thing I often tell people is that uh, it was accidentally you meet some people who mentor you or can transform your career. Because you never mm. do it all by yourself. Mm, absolutely. There's, there's, there's no, you know, mm. you know, people who come in and they, you know, they can say wherever, whatever station they hold, they got there by himself. So, Paul is the guy who got Break it down for us in terms of when you say he mentored you. Yeah. Um, he pegged in 20 years and seven years. What do you mean? How did he mentor you? So, he came. I mean, I was told I was going to go work for this guy. And, um, and I went to ask him and I said, look, I don't know anything about this industry. So, the first thing, I, I was very open and transparent. But I said, I'm, I'm a, I work hard. And, um, and I'm very prepared to learn. But... This place is so complex. Um, can you at least help me figure out, you know, what is the kind of business model for an insurance company? And he wrote a little formula for me, which I kept for many, many years. But this is how we make money. Hmm. Everything depends on these five variables. No matter how complicated life is, it's these five variables that create value here. Um, but, you know, if you're going to work hard, you work for me and uh, you deliver, uh, I'll keep giving you, you know, more and more insights uh, um, so it wasn't like official mentoring, but I could see he was always kind of looking after me. Even when I stopped reporting to him, he would check up on me, how are you doing? He'd give me good feedback. Like, you really you did a lousy job on this thing. And that thing, you did a good job. And, and, and a mentor generally is somebody who is truthful but mm. supportive. Mm. Um, is it not because you went in there with a teachable spirit. You went in there, you raised your hand yeah. rough and you said, I, I don't know anything about this, teach me. But, you know, Trevor, it's, it's, it's something that my father left with me. So don't go into a situation where, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. 
you, but you know what you can offer in that situation. Because I said to Paul, look, I'm, I can run this program. I can do all of these things. Um, but you need to help me here and there. Just being you know, truthful and objective about your, your particular uh, position in life. So I was teachable. I think I remain teachable to this day. I've, you know, I've learned a couple of industries along the way. And that point that you raise about being teachable mm. and being open to saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then surrounding yourself or finding the people who know. Um, it's people not a shame. Who, people who are better than you. People who are better than you. I mean, you, you're going to get me onto another topic, which is really, <laughs> I always look to build a team that every member in that team I know on their domain expertise, they're better than me. That's the team I want. Because then my job actually is easy, to be honest. You know, when you're the leader and basically a conductor, you're not playing an instrument. But I was, I think I was teachable. I mean, he can confess with I was not. But it was my first experience then, it was about 2000, 2002, of this, the power of, you know, you know professional mentoring mm. within the work context. Mm. We, we weren't meeting and sharing notes, but it was mentoring in the work situation, getting feedback. You did very well here. Here's why you did well. You didn't do so well here. Here's why you didn't do. And I was receptive to both forms of feedback. And mm. I always say to people that, um, you know, be really receptive to feedback, both positive and negative. The negative is more difficult to accept, but if you really kind of be objective, you know, it's, it's very powerful. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he was that at Old Mitch. And Old Mitch was a lovely time, and, and um, I kind of had multiple careers in 17 years there. If you're confused about healthcare, it's easier to put your trust in us, where every contribution is secure, and you can be sure that your membership card will be accepted. So relax, you're in safe hands with us. With access to world-class medical providers, little to no shortfalls, and free iGo membership for all our Seamus members. Join us today. Together, we make a difference. So Ralph, you stay with Old Mutual, mm-hmm. um, ultimately as uh, the CEO of um, uh, Imaging Markets. Yeah responsible for uh, 19 countries, mm-hmm. uh, 19 million customers, mm-hmm. and a trillion uh, dollars in, uh, runs rather, mm-hmm. a trillion runs in, in, in assets. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your major takeaways of that sp- 16 years spent at uh, All Mutual. Mm-hmm. What were the lessons learned? Yeah, it was a great place um, to learn um, and uh, develop um, my, my own set of skill sets uh, during that time at Old Mutual. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say at Old Mutual, you know, beyond learning <laughs> the new trade of financial services, insurance, asset management, banking, kind of life skills more generally. Um, I mean, I, I kind of honed in um, kind of working in uh, big uh, complex teams and working through really, you know, big challenges. I think that um, over the years would have been kind of a general statement, but quite specific things. Um, the... the because we were such a diverse business with all sorts of services, although under the umbrella of financial services, um, I learned to work across cultures because we're operating in all these markets. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing I learned very quickly at Old Mutual. That's, that's, that's important, isn't it? Absolutely important. Mm-hmm. Just the nuances of different cultures, Ghana and Nigeria, Nigeria. very different markets. Um, I also learned... Um, you know, some of the softer skills I'd not really learned as an engineer. Remember, I'm an engineer. <laughs> Engineers always have the hard skills. Um, so now I had to learn, you know, soft skills. 
um, communication becomes much, much more important. And uh, the engineers generally think that uh, I think my leadership profile strengthened while I was at Hold Mutual. Mm-hmm. I really became, um, you know, quite okay with, you know, um, going kind of deep inside of me to really figure out, you know, um, who I am, kind of self-mastery. Mm. Um, and what that then creates, uh, there's opportunities or challenges for myself. I learned also at Old Mutual, um, you know, just how to think about, um, you know, building new businesses. You know, I, I, was, I was involved in building, you know, one or two big businesses while at Old Mutual. So yeah, a lot that's you know mm. I'm still using today at uh, at MTN. Mm. Um, it was a great place. You were instrumental. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the uh, splitting up of Old Mutual mm-hmm. into four separate units, which were separately listed. Yeah. Did you play a role there? And if you did, what were the lessons for you? Because that that at I remember that particular mm. time, it's it, there was a lot of heavy lifting uh, involved in in that enterprise. Yeah, I was there when the separation strategy was uh, was part of the Group Exco, when the separation strategy was proposed to the board and approved, that we were split into four units. I was going to lead the unit that was going to re-domicile as old mutual back in South Africa. Uh, I, I left before that, that happened. Um, so the strategy there was to say, look, you are this conglomerate business uh, that's operating in... Uh, uh, in all these markets, and actually, there's very little synergies. Mm-hmm. So, why are we a group when the synergies um, are not there? Uh, and hence, we think that actually there's more value uh, in uh, breaking up the businesses and putting these specific businesses in the shareholders that would appreciate these businesses. So, I was involved in the in the thinking. Um, I remember when we met at some place in in London, or outside London, where the strategy was was proposed. Um, Bruce Hempel was a group CEO at that stage. And we all agreed that there were no more synergies. There was very little mm. synergies between the mm. business I run in emerging markets and Paul Feeney's in the UK. Um, so we started the path of kind of, you know, kind of structurally separating the businesses. Um, and we had made a lot of progress. Um, but I left just before that happened. I think oh. I left a year before. And um, yeah, and that's when I took the decision. Um, that also, even if I was going to be the CEO of this, you know, uh, re-domiciled enlisted old mutual business, I wasn't sure that I was um, coming back to something I raised early on about learning curve effects. Mm. I wasn't learning as much, and I felt not anymore. After sixteen years, after sixteen years, I didn't mm. feel I was learning much, and I, I needed a new challenge. Uh, I wasn't sure what that challenge was, but I remember telling my wife very early in 2016 that I don't think I'll still be at old mutual at the end of this year. <laughs> Um, he says, where are you going? I said, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, I feel I need, um, I, I need uh, something bigger, mm. something more challenging, something, I, I'm, something I'm a, disruptive. I'm a big believer in if you face life with expectance and hope mm. that the world does give you something. Yeah, it does. So the opportunity for, for um, MTN comes up. Is that what happens? Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I just want to comment on what yeah, you said yeah. is because I I do coming back to the influence of mother. Yes. My mother, as I said, she's a very spiritual person. You know, as I said earlier on, um, this too shall pass. But she believes in intentions. If you intend it, 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 it you know the kind of universe ultimately conspires. Yeah. 
so if you voice this thing out there that says, you know, I think I need a growth and the opportunity, the opportunity start coming your way. And how I ended up at MTN is also a little bit of a serendipitous because, you know, I have this, you know, request by somebody say, you know, please go see Putu Mantleko. He wants to have a, co- a cup of coffee. I asked him at Old Mutual then, and he was executive chair at uh, MTN then. I thought, oh, no, maybe I'm going to talk about mobile money. Um, and, you know, because I'd always been thinking that, you know, the future of financial services is on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, bank branches are, you know, um, is infrastructure of the past. Uh, and I say that with respect. Um, so I go and have this coffee with him. Uh, he doesn't drink coffee, he's drinking tea. So I'm having coffee at like four o'clock. Uh, this is probably around um, July, uh, August, August 2016. And he said, no, 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 um, I actually wanted to figure out, whether you, are you keen to come join us? You know, we're rebuilding MTN. Um, you know, we've seen you um, do your thing at uh, Old Mutual, work in a pan-African context. You, you understand operating in emerging markets and all of that. Um, and I said, but I'm a telco guy. Mm. Um, I, understand, I understand telecommunications, you know, from my physics days at A-levels. But um, never really studied it. But he took one further and said, no, no, we think you should put your hand up for us to consider you as a CFO. I said, I've never studied. I'm not even a chartered accountant. Um, um, but I, I reflected literally 24 hours. I spoke to my wife about it and said, no, this is a, the proposition at hand. He wants me to get into the process. Um, that's, and then I, I phoned him the next day. I said, yeah, why don't we do it? Um, and I mean, a few months later, I, you know, it comes on the public and people just completely say, what's wrong with this guy? He's going to be CEO of Old Mutual. <laughs> now he's going to be CFO at MTN. What's he thinking? But it What was, was your thinking process? Because, yeah, yeah. what's your thinking process, Dre? No, my thinking process was, look, I mean, um, you know, this is, uh, there's a little bit of my side that's adventurous, you know. <laughs> we all have little adventurous selves inside of us, I, I would like to think, but... Um, there's a part of me that said, well, wouldn't it be great to learn, um, you know, let me do this finance thing, you know, for a couple of years. Maybe I might be good. Maybe I might not be so good at it. But um, I just said, look, I'm just, I, I, I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to back myself to learn a new sector. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn actually a new function. I know what a good CFO looks like because I've been a CEO many years. So let me frame it from the perspective of, so I don't think I was like a brilliant technical CFO. Probably was a very bad one at that. But, you, you uh, but lost, I brought the you strategy. You lasted three years, hey? Yeah, I lasted three years. Mm-hmm. But, I, but, I, but I, was, I think I brought the disciplines of capital management and the, the kind of finance strategy. Okay. Because I'd played strategy roles also before. So strategy was an area that I, 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 you know, I thought I had you know, decent skills. Mm-hmm. So I, I cast that on and I said, what does the company need? The company needs to really think about, you know, strengthening its balance sheet. How does it do that? And then I get the team to do the work. Mm. Get the smart folk to figure out how do we get the balance sheet? How do we grow? I worked with Rob Shooter, who was then the CEO. But I, as I said, it was three years. But it was, I, I learned a lot during mm. that period. Mm. And now I've got a better feel, you know, of just the numbers. I can mm. see a number and I can say, 
I think the number's wrong. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's wrong. I'm generally you, right. You are a good person to have, to have around. <laughs> is, is, correct me, is this the time that MTN is battling with the SIM uh, registration oh, uh, problem in Nigeria? Is, is it the time that mm. MTN is getting bad press you, and you are CFO and you're trying to fix this stuff? Talk to me about that. No, so this, um, the, the, the challenges, the real existential challenges that happened to MTN were in 2015. Okay. Uh, with the SIM registration fine in Nigeria, it started with 5.2 billion. It was settled, you know, more um, around one and a half billion or thereabouts. Um, so that happened before I joined. Okay, okay. So there's a process of rebuilding the team. Rob Schuter had been a appointed group CEO, and, you know, I then came in as a group CEO. Jens Kultenbockham was still at MTN. You came in as group. So there was a rebuilding of the leadership to try and address the historical mm. issues and get the business to perform. Yeah, we've had some challenges, you know, since I was there, CFO in, uh, in Nigeria as well and other markets. Look, are we operating, you know, the other thing I learned was at Old Mutual was, you know, when you're operating in, in emerging markets, you must have the risk appetite mm. to operate mm. in them. Mm. You know, things happen. Mm. Um, but if you generate the, the right return profile on a risk-adjusted basis, you're doing the right thing. Mm. So, Do you think that, you, so you come in as this stuff has happened. Yeah. In your view, were these culture issues uh, or this is MTN having grown too big, too quickly, expanding aggressively geographical? What, what, is your, what is your reading? What is your take? Yeah, look, it's always easy to look at hindsight. Mm, yeah, mm. So in hindsight, you always have a perfect answer. But I think I, I would attribute it to a couple of things. I think the first is that the risk management systems were not as... Um, strong as they needed to be because mm. um, we came and rebuilt the risk was reporting to me when I joined or was moved to me when I joined and I kind of really worked with the team um, it was a collective effort but yeah. we tried to build kind of industrial strength risk management system which we what we have today I think that's the one I think when I talked to the people who have been in the company for some time that you know there was a little bit of the hubris of success yeah that kind of sets in, and, and I, I'm always fearful of, you You, you heard me about yeah, learning curve yeah. effects. Uh, they, you know, the company had been exceptionally successful. And some of the, the folk uh, mm -hmm. were saying, look, there was a bit of a hubris of success. You know, when uh, there was a communication from the authorities, there wasn't as rapid a response. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't there, so I can't really be categoric. Um, and I, I think the final point would have been that, um, you know, beyond those two points, um, the, 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 there were some things that we should have been able to see mm. um, that, uh, you know, as a company we didn't see. But, you know, as, as I said, you know, you know, this is hindsight. But so we came in at the time when we had to deal with these things, historic, and kind of rebuild mm. the business. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of hard work, but I'm, I'm never fearful of work. So, mm. so I really enjoy that time. But whoa, we were like working seven days a week mm. uh, for about two to three years. But I had fun as well. They, they yeah. say that um, you've been 20 months in the, in the job now, um, almost. Yeah, I, I don't count the months, but uh, <laughs> in September, I've been... Yeah, it's, 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 20 months. It, yeah, 20 so months. you've been 20 months in, yeah. the, in the job. And, and, and I hear a lot of people say, you've, you've spoken quite a lot uh, right now, uh, Ralph, about teams mm. and the emphasis of uh, the team contributing to yeah. su success and taking yeah. um, um, the kudos for that. Some people say to me, it's very lonely at the top. Mm. Has the past 29, 20 months been lonely? Are you beginning to feel it? Yeah, I mean, I was CEO before I became, at Old Mutual, I was CEO for about, uh, at the emerging markets level for about um, 
five, five years. So I understood the loneliness of the CEO job before I went to be CFO and then come back as CEO. So I, re- I knew that this is a, a very lonely, um, um, you know, you know, position. Um, but you can, the, the, the ways around that loneliness that I think, you know, you can be less lonely. I mean, if you're the type of leader who what, believes you have all the answers, um, it is exceptionally lonely. Because what then happens is everyone says, okay, that person has all the answers. Let's wait for them to do all the thinking. Yeah. So my approach has is, is, is always been to, you know, to, to tap the wisdom of the team, mm. uh, to tap the board, mm. and then we make the decisions. And we make the decisions with the information we have at that time. Mm-hmm. The facts may change tomorrow, mm. but at the time we make the decisions, um, we, had the, uh, we, we, we took the best views at that particular point in time. I'm very comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But it may end up that the decision in hindsight or two months down the track is wrong. If you can still change it, because things have changed, the circumstances have changed, mm. change your action. Mm. So, I mean, I lean on the board, I lean on my team. Um, I always come into a situation with a view. Mm. I, I, I try a lot not to express my view early. Because as a CEO, if you express your views early, people then go quiet. But I'm, my team says, you're rough, you're not brilliant at that. You sometimes, you exert your views very early. <laughs> and, uh, but I encourage them to challenge. I yeah. say, no, Rolf, you said this, but we disagree. So I try and, and build teams that are... Um, um, but we, we, we all, Ralph, I, mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I, can, I can sense your, man, your leadership style. Yeah. Right? But is there a place or a moment where you have staff mm. that is troubling you? that you can't share with, uh, your, you, with, with your colleagues, yeah. stuff that you can't take to your wife because yeah. you're going to scare her. Mm. Well, where do you go when you've got those moments and moments where you have to own up to your vulnerabilities, as it were? Yeah, when that happens, you know, I, you, you're absolutely right that there are those moments that are actually at the extreme mm. where, you, you know, you could scare people by talking to them about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I go deep inside of myself. Wow. Um, um, I mean, I, I, I try and stay relatively active, so I try and be quite disciplined. I'm not always perfect these days, but, you know, I find that if I gym where I run and I've got my music on, um, you know, and it sounds very odd, it might even sound a little bit corny, but, you know, you get into a really flow state, mm. what I call flow state. And then I really, in that flow state, can figure out, I said, I actually don't know, I don't have an answer here, and actually it's okay, mm-hmm. you know? Something really bad could happen. Um, um, if I know that something, if I know what the drivers are, I would, let's say, maybe even discuss it with the chairman. The two people I, 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 I talk to about, you know, kind of like deep vulnerabilities. And I, I always say, sometimes they can do what they like with it. I have to tell them, I'm the chairman, I, t- I talk to my wife about it. But if I can't talk to them, I go deep in mass myself. And then I just How say, do you do that? Is it just running? Is it... Uh, no, I, I would call it, Trevor, it's just kind of... I think, you know, peop, the word meditation is, is sometimes used in a way that people think about it in the context of yoga and things like that. And I'm sure it's there. Um, but in my mind, I just, go, I just go into a quiet place. I mean, I am, by the way, quite a shy person. So, but I'm very contemplative, reflective. Mm-hmm. But I go deep and I just say, look... I'm going to hold this. I go back to that thing I said to you earlier, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do, when those kind of existential moments hit you, I say, well, 
this will pass. Mm. Let me try and focus on the things I can control. Because there are many things in life that you can't control and worrying about them is not going to help. Mm. But if you figure out what you can control, um, I think you feel much better. The word is feel. Mm. You feel much better about those things that you can't control that may be quite existential and may shock you. Mm. Um, you know, we operate, in, you know, right now, MTN, we're 19 countries, a couple in the Middle East, on the African continent. While we're sitting here, something could be happening. But, you know, I have to trust the team. I have to trust. So the CEO job is lonely. Mm. And, um, and, you know, it's not, it's not what people think it is. People think it's... Um, it's all glamour. It's all glamour. Easy. It's all easy. Cocktail parties. Cocktail parties, <laughs> private jets and all of that. As you said, I mean, I, I arrived today from uh, Terra. Yeah. yeah. And, and Shane, one of the executives says, you know, Ralph, um, you're always smiling at every meeting, but we drag you from 8 in the morning until 10.30 at night. Uh, don't you get tired? I said, I do. <laughs> I said, when I get back to the hotel room, I completely collapse. I'm a human being. But, you know, but I, but I, but, but I love... I love the responsibility of leadership. Mm. I love you, you, you love the responsibility of leadership. And mm. I must say, I think um, right up to now, you've spoken about your wife mm. four to five times. Mm. Um, she's a sounding board. And I've learned, Ralph, that if home is not stable, mm. it's very difficult to come in and present a stable a Ralph uh, in the workplace. So mm. you, you, you've said, and correct me if I'm mm. wrong, your wife, uh, Mokele, mm. is a real partner for me. I mm. probably won't be where I am today without her. Unpack that for us. No, that's true. I mean, uh, she kicks me out of bed and says, go and work for the family. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, as you, uh, to, to your point, um, and I said this to my colleagues, is that um, you come to work whole. And I can see a situation where somebody, their issues at home, even if they don't tell me or within their environment. So is everything okay? And then if they're close enough, they end up telling, we'll try and, and, and help. When I come back to my situation, I always say, you know, in the workplace, you will perform better. It's a general statement. I'm sure it's not always true, but I would like to think it's generally correct that, you know, the more stable things or open and transparent things are at home, the better it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, my wife, my colleague, is a, is a board member on my personal board. My personal board never right. meets. Yeah. My personal board never meets. <laughs> I like will, that. I will use meet. that board yeah. day. Yeah? Yeah, the personal board never meets because, mm. you know, you have a couple of people who... Who are on the board. Who are on your board. But they don't meet. They don't but meet. you meet them. You meet them, mm. one by one. So she's, a, she's probably the chairperson of my personal board, if I ask. Yeah, so... What are the people on that board? My mother will be on that board. Okay. Yeah, she certainly would be. Um, there are two um, other people that I've worked with in the past that are there, um, and I tap into their wisdom once in a while, ask them questions, give answers. 60% of the answers I might disagree, but the 40 that I agree with, it, I generally mm. find that you know it helps me. I encourage people to think about personal boards a lot. Wow. Um, to say, you know, if you're... Think of yourself like a company or a corporation. Mm, mm. And in many respects, you are. You're, you, you are an enterprise of sorts. And, you know, are there people who are being constructively critical and supportive? Of and you? you need them. And you need them. You need them in all situations. Yeah. So, and people talk about you need, a, you need your village. Maybe that's, you need your village. But the personal board is the couple mm. of people that are kind of actively, and they'll come into, you really messed mm, up here. Mm. And here's why. 
when you take and you reflect and you 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 course correct. So and you grow and you grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so unpack for me now. So you are president and chief executive officer of the MTN Group. Mm. In a nutshell, describe MTN to us. What, what does what does it look like? Ah, MTN. Number of people, revenues, <laughs> uh, geographic geographic spread to give us a context. Yeah, MTN is massive. <clears throat> and I feel the, the president title when I leave the South African shores because it feels bigger when you're in the markets. Excessive. America. It feels really big. So, I mean, we have over 270 million customers using our services. So 270, not a small number. Um, you know, we make uh, in rand terms, you know, over 180 billion uh, rand of revenue. Um, 16, 17,000 work, people working us, uh, working in our in our business across 19 markets. Um, you know, of those 17 on the African continent, so pretty much one in three African countries, um, there's an MTN business mm. there, and we're in two in the Middle East, we're in Iran, um, we in Afghanistan. Um, so yeah, it's a complex, uh, it's a big business. But at the end of the day, I say to people, what, what are we doing? And I come back to the dignity um, and giving people hope. Um, you know, we're in the business of delivering uh, digital services and financial services. Mm. Um, and our customers are basically people, mass market, people who have um, basically lower uh, disposable income to spend. We try to make a business out of People spending four dollars mm. uh, a month in communication services and financial services. So we talk about, you know, we are a a, a mission driven business that you know is 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 focused on ensuring that everybody can access the benefits of a modern connected life. All right, that's what we do every day. We get up, and I always add a little bit of uh, you know flavor to that to say that, but when we do that, you know, it must give our people dignity and hope. I come back to that uh, point I raised earlier on that, um, you know, as Africans, you know, there's so much, you know, even today I get frustrated that there's this discussion about the global, um, the kind of geopolitics between the East and the West. And where's Africa in the mm. discourse? And mm. I say to people that, you know, this, this is a continent that we, as Africans ourselves, we must figure a way how we become, you know, basically self-sufficient, but remaining integrated with the globe. Um, so at MTN, we're really passionate about this thing of you know, giving people dignity and hope. Mm. But the service that we offer is communication. And uh, so the why, the why at MTN is, 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 is that sense of mission and zeal. So, yeah, it's a great place. But mm. uh, I always, uh, as uh, Patuma, when I joined, he said, uh, Rolf, I cannot guarantee you happiness, <laughs> but I can guarantee you'll never be bored. <laughs> And that has proven to be very true five years after having joined MTN. Wow. So, Ralph, when I look at... um the, your traditional uh, telecommunications operators, I say mm. to myself, uh, how long can you survive <laughs> in this business model yeah. of voice, uh, 
data mm-hmm. and, and whatever. With all these other threats that are coming in, sure. and some of the threats are coming from the regulator who says mm. you're charging mm. uh, too much for data. Mm. Uh, some, of, some of them are coming from the fact that your equipment is ex- ex- expensive. Yep. I mean, for instance, in the South African market, you've got three op- big operators, right. which is the same size as, uh, as, as, as America. Is there an existential threat to your traditional uh, telecommunication operators? And are you dealing with that? And how are you dealing with it? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, you sound like one of my uh, shareholders asking me the questions. <laughs> I'm sure you're a shareholder as well. But um, I, I wouldn't say it's so much an existential threat, but I think the businesses have to evolve, mm. which may end up being the same thing. And I'll say that for a couple of reasons. Um, the telecommunication industry is poorly understood, and maybe it's their own goal by the industry, in not explaining very clearly to the authorities and to customers that it, it is a very capital-intensive business. Just us as the MTN group, we spend over $2 billion every year in putting, uh, you know, building radios, fiberizing our networks. I mean, that capital which we get from shareholders uh, basically needs to get a decent return. So it's a very capital intensive business. That's the first thing. Secondly, you know, society sees it as, as, as a right uh, that data should be cheap. Um, and it's actually one of services that you'd ordinarily expect to be given by uh, by public capital, not private capital. Um, you know, the, when you and I grew up, <laughs> we're using those um, those phones that kids or grandkids today don't understand uh, how we communicated on. But that was provided by um, you know public companies. Um, so. And you, and you had public phones where you went on the corner and put some coins. Yeah, I put if coins. If you didn't have the coin, you, you wouldn't call. You, if you don't have the coins, you, you wouldn't call. ask the operator to lower the fees. So you that, wouldn't. Ah, exactly. Thank you <laughs> sorry, so much. I, I interrupt we, you. No, it's a great point, and you can come and help us with our PR at yeah. the end. But I'm, I'm, on a more serious note, I mean, I think what the uh, traditional teleco operators face is a need to reinvent themselves, uh, to see connectivity as a platform amongst other platforms that are uh, within an ecosystem of services that can be offered. What happened in the 2000s was that, you know, it's the advent of the iPhone. Mm. The advent of the iPhone brought a rich amount of data capabilities Mm. onto the phone. And the operators missed that. And then the Apples, the Netflix, and all of those really understood that the value was in the services and not in the provision of the raw data in of itself. Uh-huh. And that's why value shifted to the Netflix, to the Googles, uh, and so forth, you know, those, the old versions uh, called the FANGs. But the big companies that put in the infrastructure, you know, have got very low returns. So what, 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 what needs to happen in the future, certainly my perspective, and I think that's where the company's yeah. perspective is, is that as we move to 4G to 5G and from 5G to 6G ultimately, is that capital or, uh, uh, intensiveness of the business model will remain. But you don't have to put all your capital by yourself. You need to open up these networks. So we talk about open access you know, models where we now even share our own infrastructure. Mm, We've opened mm, up our, mm. our infrastructure where a third party can leverage the investment that we've made, they pay us a fee, right. and we can deliver a, a, an adequate return on invested capital. So that's on the core connectivity. But off the connectivity are services which is what people really want. Why are you on the internet? There are services that you really want. And we want to participate in these services under our strategy that we have at MTN. 
So we are. So we, is this part of the pivoting? That is the pivoting. Yeah. So the pivot from being a, a traditional telecommunications operator, because if you stay with that business model, it quickly, you know, you mm. quickly enter the terrain of being a utility, mm. where um, it's as a business, you're providing a basic service. Growth is very limited. Mm. Uh, return profile, um, you know, could be challenged by one or two shock events. And as you say, the other thing is that it's a highly regulated industry. So private capital in a highly regulated industry, the only other comparator to that actually is mining. Yeah. Um, and I often say to people, frequencies are like mining or but in the air rather mm. than underground. Mm. So mining and telecommunications are actually quite similar uh, in many respects around just the forces that are shaping them. So you know, we, we are of the view that you, you've got to still focus on providing the core connectivity profitably, mm. but also at a decent price to consumers. But there are um, the, the ecosystem effects, if you don't take advantage of them as an operator, someone else will. Yeah. We have 272 million Millions subscribers. subscribers. Every day using our phones. Mm. So why don't we offer them you know, this incremental service? It's, it's interesting, as briefly as we may, because yeah. we're running out of time, that this is an industry that came and disrupted a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> your MTNs, yes. Your, uh, your whatever. Um, in this being disrupted by new players, mm. um, just comment briefly on that. Mm. The, the traditional player yeah. always being disrupted by something new. Now you're responding to... To, to, to what these players have come in and, and, and done in, in your markets place? Yeah, so I mean, in summary, what we're trying to do is, you know, continue to provide the telecommunication services because it is bringing us to these 270 million mm. subscribers. Mm. But we're saying we can offer these services ourselves. You don't have to use WhatsApp. You can use Ayoba from MTN. But we're also disrupting in some way uh, or building on in some way uh, where others have not gone as far. So banking has gone quite far, mm. but we are going further with our mobile money business because we have the capillarity of distribution. Every corner of the street, there's an MTN agent. Yeah. There's no standard bank branch. Mm. Uh, you can say that to Sim tomorrow when we <laughs> see you. But um, we're also taking the opportunity to disrupt ourselves. Mm. Otherwise, we'll get yeah. disrupted. Yeah. Eat you yourself or somebody else will eat you. Disrupt yourself, mm. otherwise you'll get disrupted. Mm. So we have a little bit of that paranoia internally. Good paranoia. Um, you, talk to me about the thinking behind the listing in Nigeria um, and the Ghana Stock Exchange and the divestiture from, uh, from, from Cyprus. What's the thinking? What are you reacting to? So, I mean, one of the things that the, the listing in our minds was a path towards ensuring that there's local participation in the success of the MTN businesses. These are very big businesses that four or five years ago would have been Nine, uh, 80% plus owned by just by MTN. Mm, mm. So ex there are huge businesses that are part of the national infrastructure of Ghana and Nigeria, and there's very little ownership of Ghanaians and Nigerians. That's not uh, a sustainable construct. So we took a view that says we will sell down so that more um, Ghanaians and Nigerians you know, have a stake in this particular company mm. um, because the stakes were actually quite low. Um, and because we believe that the more they are, uh, there's, there's sufficient lo uh, local ownership, um, it, it's a much more sustainable construct. Cyprus was part of our divestiture. It was our only business that was basically in Europe, but okay. we still call it Middle East. We, just, we were looking towards cleaning up the portfolio um, and actually being much more kind of pan-African focused as opposed to be this kind of global multinational business. 
and there's very little very little synergy between Cyprus or any of our markets. Okay. Um, we're trying to simplify the portfolio um, and actually try and reduce risk. Mm-hmm. Let me take you now to um, the principles by which you lead, mm. the habits that you, when you look back, you say, these are the habits that have made me be where I am, president and CEO of uh, MTN Group. What, your, what are your leadership principles? What are the habits that make uh, Ralph as successful as he has become, according to my measure. <laughs> no, I was about to say, I'm sure it's your measure. My, my sense is I'm still growing and developing. So, I, you know, I, I like to think I'm a, a work in progress, uh, you know, every day. But I would argue that um, some, of, some of what has helped me be where I am, um, I think I'm, I've, I've, I've got a very deep uh, sense of self-awareness. Mm. I know where I'm strong. I don't, I don't need to be told that. Uh, and I know where I'm weak. I don't need to be told that. So I, I, I encourage this um, process of trying to master thyself mm. um, because you can engage the, with the world very honestly. So the continuous st- step of um, self-mastery, understanding where you are, because you also do evolve. Mm. What was um, made you successful at 40 might not make you successful at 50. Absolutely. So I'd say, you know, I, I practice my own techniques of self-mastery by having, you know, kind of honest conversations with myself. Mm. Um, I would also argue that I'm very clear um, around the skills and tools I have that can take me into different situations and give me a sense that I can do reasonably well in those situations. Mm. Um, mm. As an example, I said, at the core, um, I, my engineering mindset is about fixing problems mm, mm, and mm. how do you approach problems and, uh, and so forth. So I'm very clear of that uh, tool set um, and, um, and, and, and when I bring them in and therefore I can build a team around me that complements where I lack. Mm. And I'm always looking for that, being honest with myself that I'm not as good as that person. Mm. But I think I'm relatively better than most, not always all, in being able to to integrate mm-hmm. these people. Um, I practice I practice quite quite a bit, you know, the art of uh, building and strengthening teams. Um, I've read the book uh, and I try and practice the team of rivals. I've oh. I've managed teams that are like the team of rivals. <laughs> And, uh, you know, live to, to see the day. I've, I've just collected mine from exclusive books. Ah, today. you collected so, it. Ah, yeah, no, it's a great looking book. Looking forward to reading it. Those are really good. Th- those are often the best teams, mm. by the way. Um, and then, you know, just, you know, s- small micro habits. Mm. When do you, w- what time do you wake up? Mm. When do you go to bed? Do you put an exercise What time you? do you wake up? I generally wake up between uh, 5 and uh, 5.30. Okay. Try and do a bit of exercise before. Mm. Try and read something that's nothing to do with work reflect on what I think should be, what will a successful day look like? Mm-hmm. Try and visualize. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of visualization. If the day's going to be successful, here's how it's going to mm-hmm. look. Here's how I'm going to look. Wow. And, and kind of walk yourself into it. So, that, I mean, powerful, um, that. and then the learning curve thing, mm-hmm. just checking where the gradient is. Where the strain curve. is, where the tension yeah. is. Lucky yeah. enough, my, my, yeah. my, my curve is still steeper than well, After 20 months. <laughs> uh, uh, let me put you on the spot now on two, on two issues. Mm. You're passionate about building teams and yeah. leaning and relying on teams. Mm. One thing in building teams is obviously that at some point you've got to fire some people. Mm. How easy are you with that? 
It's a difficult process, but you know, you just know you have to do it. Mm. And often, you, the quicker you do it, the better. There is never an upside in delaying and vacillating. Um, so, as you say, it's 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 a very it's a difficult thing, but it's it has to be done and must be done quickly. You 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 I watched you somewhere saying as as we round up, uh, Ralph, that uh, find a greater purpose. Mm. You say you're growing. You say mm. you are working a work in progress. Mm. Um, take you back to your dream when you were ten years old. You mm. wanted to fly. Mm. What's Ralph's dream right now? What is your greater purpose? No, my greater purpose, the way I think about it, is this point around. Um, I'm really deeply passionate about um, being in situations and places that give Africans dignity and hope. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm doing, and, and that's what gets me up every day because when you see customers, uh, when I travel the markets and I see customers, I can see the impact. Um, now, that could manifest itself in many forms. Mm. And, you know, maybe that's why, you know, I started life in engineering, I moved to financial services, I'm now telecoms. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about this con- continent and the, the hope, um, and my hope is that we realize the potential mm. that we have inherently. Uh, we have the people. It's a youthful population. Mm-hmm. We have the mineral resources. There's nothing Africa lacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, ever since I saw, as I mentioned, you know, that scar as a six-year-old, mm-hmm. someone talking to my grandfather, my father, and calling them boys, I've said, you know, what role do I play mm-hmm. to give my people? And I don't want to use my people in a way no, that I'll seems exclusionary yeah. uh, hope. And because I don't want you know, young black people to feel, Africans to feel that we can't go to mm. space, they can. Mm. And hopefully when they see you and me, they can say, hey, we can do anything. Mm. If Trevor can do it, I can do it. Which is why we brought you here, um, uh, Ralph, because I believe that your life journey, you know, you construction, engineering, financial services, and now telecommunications will inspire a lot of young people out there. <music> I'm not going to let you go before we talk books. Um, you, and you really sound like a man who reads. Yeah. What books, Ralph, have you read? Three books at least that have been life-changing to you? Yeah, I love books. Uh, my wife complains I'm buying them, not reading them <laughs> lately. I tell her I'm reading board packs as a substitute. <laughs> but my library gets built. Um, yeah, I, I, I read very widely. Mm. Um, um, right now I'm reading the English version of the Quran. Mm-hmm. To my mother, Shagrin, because she says, you know, the only way to God is through Christ. So I'm having a bit of a discussion with my mother <laughs> around that. Um, but the books that I think uh, were life-changing, um, and I read them at different. One is not really a book, but mm-hmm. I, I think it can have some lessons, you know, to some people listening in on, on this. Um, um, Lord of the Flies, I read it as part of my O-level uh, literature book. Right. I still love that uh, William Golding's book around British boys stranded on an island dealing with issues of self-governance. And uh, I mean, what comes out of there is just the fine line between good and bad. Mm. We often think of people as, you know, inherently bad, but the line is very really mm. thin, groupthink. Um, and it awakened in me this thing about, um, you know, don't judge too harshly yeah. because that line is very thin between good and bad. Um, so, um, Lord of the Flies, you know, it is a, a, a book 
that um, you know it, it, it awakened in me this point about the thin line. Mm. Um, four agreements. Um, I read it in the early 2000s. Um, I was, I think, just about, point out just before I met my wife. Um, so it must be close on to 20 years ago. Um, and I, I, I try and live by those four agreements. Mm. You're asking me um, earlier about the four, I mean, the, the habits. Mm, mm. Um, you know, um, so I try and practice those four agreements. Um, um, the one of those four agreements, which I often say to people is, uh, sometimes it's not about you. When situations happen um, and people do things, it's actually not about you, it's yeah. about them. Yeah. And, and it's very important to learn. So that, that um, four agreements is... Then there's an A to Z um, of affluence, um, Deepak Chopra. So I, it's not really a book, but okay. it's a 30-minute it's a podcast. And he goes through the A to Z of affluence. And affluence is not about money. Mm. But he talks about affluence as... Um, as an example, the lack of worry. Okay. And, uh, and in D, he has the word Dharma. Mm. Uh, and Dharma means everybody has a purpose. Mm. There's no human being on this earth who, who has doesn't no have a purpose. purpose. Mm. Find your purpose, you act it, you'll be successful, you'll have affluence. Mm. So, so those, um, the four agreements and the A to Z, I listen to it at least three or four times a year. Wow. I just go back and quickly check. What, am I, what, what, what can I learn now, which I didn't wow. learn there? Wow, what, what an awesome, um, uh, this, this, is, this has been a business class, um, masterclass rather. This has been a masterclass. Ralph, thank you so much for appreciate creating the time. The time. Yeah, appreciate uh, the time. Jumping off a plane from Tehran and coming into the studio. So thank appreciate. you so much. No, thank we you. We shall so. shake hands. I think it's a bit health, uh, uh, safe to do that. Yeah, yeah. Ralph, remain seated there. Allow me to tend to our viewers yeah. who are all over the world um, who tune into In Conversation with Trevor on YouTube. We are out every Monday at 7 a.m. Central African time. For you to ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations such as the one I've had with Ralph, please click onto this red button and subscribe. When you subscribe, you will get a reminder uh, every time when we have one of these quality conversations. We've gone a step further and created podcasts for every conversation that we have, and they are on all podcast platforms. Uh, if you scroll below this video, there's a link that will take you to podcasts for your listening pleasure. Until next time, cheers to all. <laughs>